you know, there's nothing else about us. Welcome to episode 120 of the Swamp Flex podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. And I'm James Cohn. And we are podcasting once again from inside the cone of uncertainty. Mm. There's another hurricane coming to New Orleans right now. Uh, the seventh one this year. All of them have missed us so far. By the time we talk about a hurricane coming on the podcast and I edit it and post it, the hurricane has already hit somewhere else. Usually in West Louisiana, it's been rough over there, but it seems like it's our turn now. Yeah, not this time. Yeah, it's a little category one. Yeah, it's a cat one. Come on. I'm like scared to not worry about it because I feel like there's this weird like magic (laughs) where if you don't worry, it'll be terrible. And if you do, it won't. I don't know. I bought two gallons of water. <laughs> that was a big decision at the market was like, do I buy two gallons or just one gallon? And I went with the one gallon. I feel like we're going to lose power maybe for a little bit, but it's not a two gallon storm. The one uniquely like awful thing about this to me is just that hurricane days have been like taken away from us at jobs where most industries have shifted to like working online as being a regular thing. So now they don't cancel operations. They're like, Oh, you don't have the day off. You're just going to work at your house now. So like you have no time to prepare your house or anything. You have to like be online and available. I think that's bullshit. Like working like remotely working online is like you work more because everyone knows where you are all the time. I was like kind of hoping that they were going to cancel deliveries either Wednesday or Thursday, but they, just decided to go ahead. It's not a big deal. Just send all the drivers out there. So in 80 mile an hour winds, you know, Yeah, well, come on, <laughs> whatever. Well, we can't let it get us down too hard because it's also Halloween season. And this is a celebratory episode. Where we're going to talk about horror movies the whole time. This is our time to shine. Mm. Are y'all feeling the spirit? No, there's not actually going to be anything to do on Halloween. There's not going to be any trick or treaters. You know, no. I, th- think most of the haunted houses are closed it's time Uh, to make new traditions like look at this as a time to do light a black flame candle watch all your (laughs) movies you know pray to the dark lord yes Samhain is among us halloween anyway for me i'm like always too lazy to go out and put effort into anything so sometimes i'll go and like look at everyone's decorations and stuff and then i'm in real early and i always watch the bugs bunny um, Halloween special. Uh, so that's like the highlight <laughs> of the Halloween season for me is getting to watch that. We're going to make a big snack plate and watch a bunch of horror movies and eat snacks. That's the extent of my plans this year, which usually I just kind of do that. And I pass out candy to like five children that come by the house over the course of the night. I hate giving candy to kids. So I'm just kind of excited <laughs> that it's not a thing this year. So we're actually moving on Friday, the day before Halloween, and we're moving Spooky. next door, which is very strange. In the same building or a different building? It's a different house, a different double shotgun. It's shot not that gun, different. But, but it's like the exact <laughs> same layout, and it's literally one house over. I've accidentally knocked on that door thinking it was your place before. Yeah. I was just like way ahead of time. Brandon well, knew. He knew. Well, we found out our uh, landlords were selling the house, so we quickly jumped on this other place right next door so probably going to be like moving we should be all moved in by halloween and then cooking dinner getting drunk watching horror movies that's probably going to be about it you're living in a liminal space between worlds where the uh, veil between this world and the next is at its thinnest what 
Guys. You're going to bring some spirits in with you. Holy shit. Holy shit. Are you all still there? I feel like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm listening to you. <laughs> I'm listening to you freak out. I'm just saying, holy shit. I thought he was getting possessed because he was talking about the veil. Oh, what was it? Brandon, there was a movie you recommended, that Zoom call movie. Host. The host. I w- yeah, I watched that upon your recommendation, and that's what that just reminded me of. I loved it. I'm glad you liked it. I, I think it's one of the best horror movies of this year, and I think it you know, really captures what's happening right now and what life is like right now in a way that no other movie can because this year's been so weird that yeah. it, it would have to be have been made this year to do that. Yeah, no, that was good. What, so what have you guys been watching? Uh, I've watched a couple really short kind of experimental weirdo films um, that I would recommend. They're both from this year and they're both about 70 minutes long. One is called The Wolf House. It's a $4 rental on Amazon right now. Uh, it's this animated film that's technically stop motion animation, but it's done in this like really crude way that I've never seen before. Where like instead of you know animating little dolls or like little clay figures, they paint on the walls. So like there'll be like a two D figure painted on the wall. They'll erase the painting and then paint the same character like a step over. They're like kind of projected onto the furniture and other objects around the room. And then they kind of turn into the little paper mache figures, but they're all like kind of handmade and falling apart. And there's all these like wet, creepy sounds every time these like characters they make kind of like break down and then reconfigure. It's really upsetting. Yeah, I'm actually looking at some images from it as you were speaking, and this looks like a nightmare. Yeah, it's probably the most upsetting animated film I can think of outside of like Violence Voyager. It's not quite as traumatic as that one, but it is like nightmare fuel in the same way that movie is. Oh boy. Um, and it does come from kind of a similar background of like abuse. It's, it's kind of fueling the narrative of it. It's presented as if it's a propaganda film from this Chilean commune where like these ex Nazis had like fled Germany as the empire was falling and basically Chile gave them like space to like form their own commune. And they basically just abused both the people who were like in their midst in like kind of like a Jonestown way. And also the like locals who were like at the periphery. So they kind of present themselves in this propaganda film as, you know, this like nice ideal. They call it themselves like pure, uh, which is a creepy word to use in this context commune that just like makes honey and is like sweet and like feeds its people and the movie is a fairy tale warning you about disobeying them. It's like, don't leave or you'll starve to death and a wolf will eat you. It's got like kind of a Brothers Grimm background narrative to it. But really, like what's really upsetting about it is just the visual artistry. And I've just never seen anything that looks like it before. Uh, so I definitely recommend it for that. Hmm. And I also watched one on Amazon Prime called The Berlin Bride. It's about these two loner weirdos in Berlin. One is like a janitor and the other is a dressmaker. The janitor finds a mannequin abandoned in the park as he's like cleaning up around the park and he takes it home and along the way, her right arm falls off and the dressmaker is an amputee who's missing his right arm. So he puts that arm on his body and the story split between the two of them. The, the amputee dressmaker the lady arm transforms and becomes a part of him and becomes real. And he's like interacting with it. And 
she has these like dangerous impulses she like impulse shops while he's sleeping and like has these like sexual urges that he has to like contend with and the other guy the janitor who has the rest of the body treats it as if it's his wife and is in love with his like newlywed bride um but he's also frustrated about the fact that she's missing her arm and he'll do anything to get it back which uh goes kind of into a horror territory as he finds out who has it and he wants to reclaim it from the uh the dressmaker it's a fucking weird movie. It's mostly silent. It's so cheap. It's surreal. Like there's some CGI in it that just looks wrong in like a kind of a cut and paste way, but it's fascinating and not like annoying. Like you look at it and you're like, wow, that's just cheap garbage, but it, it looks just so bizarre that it just kind of adds to like the dreamlike quality of the movie. And then also it reminded me a lot of Peter Strickland's work. It's not nearly as like pristine or like well funded the way Peter Strickland stuff is. Basically, if we tried to make a Peter Strickland movie in our backyard, it would look more like this. But it all just kind of adds up to like one of the weirder movies I've seen all year. So um, yeah, The Wolf House for like a creepy animated nightmare and The Berlin Bride for like a weirdly funny dreamlike nightmare movie that looks like someone made it among friends on the weekend and i liked them both a lot all right i'm gonna add that to the the halloween halloween movie festival at my house i think the wolf house especially is a great halloween season watch i don't know if the berlin bride is like capital h horror in the same way even though it eventually gets there like it it gets violent the further it goes along for most of it's just like a weird off-kilter comedy um with like sexual undertones to it but yeah they're both great cool what have you been watching, Brittany? I've been dabbling into the Blumhouse uh, thrillers that are on Amazon that they've been like marketing like crazy all month. Have y'all seen any of those? They uploaded like five or six new movies that they didn't know what to do with, right? They just kind of dumped them all at one time. Yes, yes. And I watched pretty much all of them. <laughs> what I liked about them so much is that none of them are like spooky or like really scary. It's sort of like a an elevated dramatic thriller, which was something I wasn't expecting. Like normally like, you know, Blumhouse movies kind of get a little gory and gross. Um, But none of these really got to that level for me, which was interesting, but out of all of them, and I've watched pretty much all of them. I really like this movie called evil eye. It interestingly enough, like takes place in new Orleans but feels nothing like New Orleans. Like they'll show a streetcar in the background every now and then, but you really can't tell that it's here. So that was like a weird feeling in itself. But basically it's this woman, um, she's like a young girl. She's like, I guess a grad student at a, at a university. Um, she's Indian and her parents live in Delhi and she has like a really close relationship with them. So a lot of it, it's like over the phone. Like, you know, you see what her parents are doing on their end and you kind of see what she's doing in New Orleans on her end. And her mother is like really set on, you know, getting her a husband. So there's like a, you know, not a huge Indian community in New Orleans, which the movie does mention. And her mother like sets her up on this like matchmaking date. And she ends up having like a meet cute with this other guy who just so happens to be Indian, but is not the guy her mother like set her up with. And she falls in love with him and they like get into this whirlwind like romance and everything's moving super, super fast. And 
her mother starts to kind of get these really interesting little visions. And eventually it's assumed that this guy that her daughter is dating is a reincarnation of her old boyfriend that used to like abuse her and like try to kill her. So there's not too many like reincarnation movies that are done in that style. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of these yeah. reincarnation horror movies, it's like, uh, you know, like a, like a monster or Chucky or something. It's not like when you think of reincarnation, at least in like, you know, different cultures, like it's no horror movies really dab into that. And this one does. And I thought it was kind of cool the way it does it. And it's done in like a really respectful manner too, which is pretty great. Yeah, I feel like the closest you ever get with that is like body possession, but that's not quite the same thing, you know? Exactly. So I liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. It was an interesting story. I liked the way it was filmed. There are certain parts where like they're supposed to be living in New Orleans, but there's this like house that looks like it would be like somewhere in Beverly Hills. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fun stuff like that, which I, I always get a kick out of. So yeah, Evil Eye, super good. Totally recommend it. And I also recently watched the movie um, We Summon the Darkness. Have y'all heard of that one? We Summon the Darkness? No. No, I've never heard of that. Um, It's on Netflix and it came out this year. It's a 2020 film and it's okay. And we'll be talking about movies similar to it a little later, but. Oh. (laughs) Now you've heard of this. I have heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's these three girls and they're metalheads and they're on their way to this like metal uh, concert. And at the same time, all this is happening. There's this serial killer that um, has been terrorizing all these like local communities for a while. I think the body counts like 18 or something when the movie first starts and the girls kind of become friendly with these three guys they meet at the concert and they go back to a house and kind of party together um and then things get crazy but it it seems interesting like i think the idea of it is pretty cool but i didn't like it all that much yeah i haven't heard anybody who's like really happy about it like i haven't heard anybody who's like super excited about it and I almost recommended us watching it for this episode because it fit in so snugly with the topic. But, um, you know, word of mouth was not strong enough for me to, like, suggest that we do that, you know, because we already had enough to talk about. I'm glad you made that decision. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was OK. It's not the worst. It's not the best. There are some parts that are, like, funny and cheesy and they're supposed to be. Um, but it's like the the big reveal of it all that you find out towards the end. It's just so messy and it doesn't make sense. And it's kind of hard to piece it together in your head. And you're like, well, this is stupid. I don't get it. And I hate when movies do that crap to you where they get you invested to like throw some bullshit at you that you could care less about. Um, but one interesting thing um, is that Johnny Knoxville is in it and he's a, a crooked preacher. So that's a good role your- for him. Exactly. There's your big uh, your big name for this movie. <laughs> I, is that a selling point? I love Johnny Knoxville. He was great in A Dirty Shame. Great in that. And to be honest, Jackass, those movies, that is great cinema. Oh, it God. is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I could watch um, the... I love the Jackass stunt where they put uh, like Roman candles in their butt. In the I could butt, watch yeah. that for days. It's classic. 
Watching so the third good. one in uh, the theater in 3D, I think is the only time I've almost vomited from watching a movie <laughs> that was so disgusting. I think I was me. there with you for that. That was, yeah. <laughs> I saw it in 3D too at the um, AMC out by Target. <laughs> and John Waters makes an appearance, so it's automatically yes. canonized. <laughs> But yeah, um, so that's pretty much like the gist of what I've kind of been watching. I've been trying to, you know, pick up on like these um, not so huge horror films that I've been having my eye on. So that's kind of what I've been into as of late. Tis the season. What about you, James? So, you know, I have been watching a lot of horror stuff. What? Uh, Right. (laughs) But probably the most interesting thing I've watched recently was this movie from or it's a documentary from 2003 uh, called Overnight. It is about kind of the rise and fall of this guy, Troy Duffy, who was the writer-director of Boondock Saints. I don't know if you guys (laughs) remember that movie. I've heard that this is worth watching just to like... It's so good. Put that movie in perspective, yeah. It's such a good dose of like shock and Freud... You know, watching this guy who, he's just like this Irish guy from Boston who on his spare time writes Boondock Saints like when he's not bartending or like in between time bartending. And it just blows up and like Hollywood is buzzing about it. And Miramax, who was headed by Harvey Weinstein, like buys a script for I think $300,000 they offer to buy his bar, like he will be the owner of his mm. bar and his band, because he's also a musician, like his band can also do the soundtrack to the movie. Like he was handed everything. It's like half a million dollars to write, you know, and direct. You're going to own your business and also your band will have a record deal and do the soundtrack to the movie. It is like, the most Hollywood like dream story you can imagine. And this guy is such an egotistical blowhard (laughs) and the whole documentary, you're watching him burn bridges with not only Harvey Weinstein, who, you know, at that time was a huge player and could basically make or break your career. And he's like cursing him out on the phone. He's treating actors that are auditioning for the role like shit. And he's just burning bridge after bridge, even his own family, his band, everyone around him, he just eviscerates. And then by the end, he's pretty much lost everything that he got to start out with. And it's just so delicious to see him have it all and then lose it. And the documentary is also very interesting in that you do kind of see the inner workings of Hollywood, where... It is like very political. You got to like play nice with the right people. And this guy just has, he's so full of himself. He can't do that side of it. And he just utterly fails. I mean, ultimately Boondock Saints, I think did make some money in video rentals. And think of how many dorm room posters it sold over the years. Right. And they did. I think he did a sequel or two. um, So he's not, you know, completely lost. But it's just like, man, he was handed everything on a silver platter and anyone would be so envious to be in that position and to see the way he fucks it all up. 
uh, it, it's a really good documentary. That's so interesting. Like most people I know that like are like, oh, have you ever seen Boondock Saints? They sound like this guy. <laughs> he has a like, type. He sounds like his fan base. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what he was writing, what he was writing in Boondock Saints was all from him. Like it's all mm-hmm. his own ego and his own thoughts coming out. So, you know, wow. but man, I don't know. It, it reminded me kind of of like Queen of Versailles. I love that movie. Yeah, the same thing. Like just the hubris of these people. Like you're given everything and just to watch the downfall is like pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. So I, I would definitely recommend it if you're in for watching someone lose everything. Yeah, like you feel bad watching American movie, how their dreams don't come off the ground because of alcoholism and hubris. But here's a chance to have that same experience, but feel good about it. Yeah. It's good that they failed. Because <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> yeah, and you're like his family and friends and his band members who are just watching him like pontificate and yell and curse and be this macho asshole. You're just like, oh my God, these people had to deal with him for years. And then when he finally loses it all, you're like, yes, like there's some sense of justice in the world. So anyway, I I think that would be a good watch for someone that wants to believe in some sort of karma. Well, we are going to talk about a genre today that is very well suited for macho assholes and total monsters. That was a beautiful segue. (laughs) (laughs) mm, That was a delicious segue. We are talking about heavy metal <laughs> dirt bags today. I'm glad you can bring it back around. That's great. Yeah, yeah I was like, this has nothing to do with horror. It, do- it doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just- no, no, no. It's good. It's good. Uh, uh, we're talking about metal exploitation movies. There was a period in the 80s when Americans were convinced, almost in like a Salem hysteria, that satanic cults were taking over the country and forming these like preying on school children cabals uh not very different from QAnon conspiracy theories right now i would rather this so much more than QAnon. like what a time to be alive i wish everyone just thought everybody was like a devil worshiper and there was a movement in the horror community to make these like straight to vhs movies capitalizing on it mm-hmm. called metal exploitation <laughs> that said yes satan is real these cults are real and it fucking rocks <laughs> <laughs> that is the main thesis of all the movies we're talking about today. Yep. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right now. Back in the 80s and early 90s, a wave of troubling accusations swept across North America. New and intense scrutiny on the activities of satanic cults. Stories of devil worship and satanic cults corrupting young minds. Unbelievable crime at the hands of satanic cults. There were terrifying tales of secret satanic cults bent on tormenting and corrupting the young. Heavy metal music had hidden satanic messages. Possibly satanic messages on some rock music recordings. Games like Dungeons and Dragons were luring kids to devil worship. And it got even stranger. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And this was Brittany's turn to pick for our Halloween special. What did you make us watch? <sighs> you know, it's a it's an honor and a pleasure. <laughs> make, make us watch is right. This is a film that 
blew my mind when I saw it about five years ago. And I'm so excited that we all get to watch it and talk about it. It's called Hack-O-Lantern, also known as Halloween Night, and also known as probably like a million other titles, because it's one of those. But it's this amazing, amazing uh, horror film from 1988. And it has probably one of the most interesting storylines in like an 80s metal-themed horror movie. <laughs> it's kind of like the hereditary of its time, I think. Oh my oh god, god. It's, all it. in the, it's all in the blood. Oh um, god. No, the, the power is in the blood. That's a quote from the movie. Um, so in this film, there is a little boy named Tommy. Okay. And when this film starts off, Tommy's a little boy and his grandpa is a satanic pumpkin salesman. (laughs) And he immediately gives Tommy a pentagram and a pumpkin. So right at the beginning, within the first like two minutes of this movie, it is obvious that Tommy is the devil's son, um, which we'll get to in a second. So the film kind of fast, well, before the film fast forwards to Tommy being older, we get a little more into who the grandpa is, which I think the grandpa is like the star of this movie. Yes, more grandpa. More grandpa than Tommy. Tommy has like maybe five lines throughout this whole film, and he's supposed to be the main character, which is crazy to me but grandpa is the leader of this local satanic cult in this farm town and it is revealed that he probably had a little incest thing going on with his daughter and i think he probably raped his daughter on her wedding day on her wedding day and he is actually tommy's father so um he sold tommy off to satan and fast forward, like, probably what, like, maybe 10 years? 20 years? In the future, 10. well... 20s? 18? Well, he's 18, but he's actually played by a 32-year-old balding man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay. the, that's the kicker with this, where you're immediately brought to this guy, and you're like, wait, because um, Tommy's dad dies when he's a kid, but you know, the grandpa kills him within like, you know, the first 10 minutes of the movie. And whenever we flash to the future, I'm like, oh, you know, is Tommy's dad alive? <laughs> it's Tommy. And he is this angsty metal head. And immediately, once you kind of fast forward into Tommy's future, he still has his pentagram necklace from grandpa. And he's listening to music. And then we're brought to this fabulous music video within a movie for this song by the band DC uh, LaCroix or LaCroix called Devil's <laughs> Son. And it's so good. This movie, not this movie, this music video. <laughs> it's like Tommy is fantasizing. He's dreaming while he's listening to this song about being the devil's son. He's like, you know, fantasizing about playing guitar with this band. So you already know, like, oh, yeah, he's totally into metal. Um, this is where we get into, like, the metal exploitation of this film. And in the video, there is a, like, voodoo priestess who is using the laser beams from her eyes to turn the symbols on this drum set into shrunken heads that she then puts around her neck. 
And it's not just like a snippet. It's like a full-on music video. So this all happens like so early on in the film (laughs) where it's just kind of just gives you an idea of like the insanity that is to come. Well, it's about time that, you know, Tommy has his satanic confirmation with his grandpa's cult. And the thing that I find super interesting is that Tommy isn't like running away from it. Like in a lot of movies like this, you would be like, wait, I'm not the devil's son. Grandpa, what did you do? No, he knows his grand- what his grandpa did and he's totally into it. They even make really bad devil hands together and like push them against each other. Like Tommy and his grandfather. So Tommy's like getting ready for his like, you know, satanic confirmation. And all the while the town is prepping for this fabulous Halloween party. Oh yeah, and there's also a rubber masked killer on the loose. <laughs> there's just a lot going on. There's also uh, the widow mother character who's gone full psycho bitty in gardens mm. while crying. And mm-hmm. it's just very sad about all the goings on around her. Yes. The movie's a mess. <laughs> there's like people going in every direction. <laughs> it's like you're basically trying to figure out if it's about Tommy and it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. So the whole time you're like, oh, Tommy's going to have this like satanic confirmation thing and like someone's going around and killing everyone that is getting in Tommy's way of focusing on being satanic. <laughs> like, you know, any his friends, love life, all that is just being slaughtered. And all by Grandpa. Like I said, Grandpa is like the main star of the show. And Grandpa is like the least satanic type person and character you could think of. Like he reminds me of like Chris Kattan with like a a southern (laughs) accent. Um, And he's just like this silly old man that just makes really bizarre comments. (laughs) He would be the coolest grandfather in the entire world if he were not a rapist. Like... Right. He wears all these skeleton rings and like he thinks <laughs> Halloween is the coolest day of the year and he flashes devil horns to his like grandson. Like this guy fucking rules. Um, <laughs> it just sucks about the like incestuous abuse part. Right. I want to put that on your tombstone, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> With the parenthetical at the end. Yeah, he would be the coolest grandpa. <laughs> if it wasn't for all the incest. If it wasn't for the incest. <laughs> Oh, God. But you're absolutely right. Like, this character is so great, minus that part. But, yeah, so, I mean, the film, like I said, it's hard to focus on, like, all the killings happening. You don't really care because there's so many other distractions happening. Like, this bizarre, like, Halloween party. Okay, this is, like, a big town event. But there's, like, a stripper there. And there's a snake charmer. And (laughs) there is a fabulous party comedian. Oh, God. That was my favorite part of the whole movie was the turkey man. <laughs> the turkey, turkey man. impression. That's and it. And it went, it went on for like a good 10 minutes, which was so crazy. So the party comedian is awesome. But yeah, there's just all kinds of like little gems that are hidden, little Easter eggs that you got to look for. So yeah, uh, what did y'all think of this movie? Oh. I think James had the strongest reaction to it. I'm so surprised, James. Well, okay, here's the thing. I watched this one last. So I watched all the other ones, and then I came to Hack a Lantern. I was and I liked all the other movies. And then this one, I don't know, like it Okay, if we're talking about these heavy metal horror movies, like first of all, 
Does the music rock? You didn't like the devil's son? I, I just feel like compared to the other movies, like mm. the actual songs didn't rock that hard. You know, that is where I'll have to disagree with you to, with a point. I think the music video when Tommy puts on the Walkman and hears the devil spawn song, that is my absolute favorite performance in any of these films by any metal band. I think that is the best one. Really? You're a DC LaCroix fan. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the only metal song in this film. The actual Halloween night like house band is this really they shitty. Suck. Wave they're band. so they're bad. <laughs> yeah. But I'll stand up for Lacroix. I think they're fucking great. That was the that was my favorite one out of all these bands, for sure. Really? See, I, I don't know. I was more drawn to the well, we'll we'll talk about we'll, some we'll of the get other there. Movies. That's a good question. I think we should keep tabs on this. Who is the best metal band in any of these films? I'm going to stake mm. my claim here. And who is the absolute worst band? Because I like the way I rated these movies. Like I actually made notes and I put little devil horns. Like <laughs> yes. you, get, you know, I rated it from one to five devil horns. And I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't rock enough. Besides, I take your point that one song like. The actual music just wasn't fucking heavy. I, I think the the problem here is that like this is at the periphery of metal exploitation. Like this isn't like a pure metal exploitation movie the way the rest of them are. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of this as a variety show. Like we have the sidewalk <laughs> stand up performer. There's a, a belly dancer with a snake. There's the shitty new new wave band, the, the satanic rituals in their own right. way is kind of a performance. Right. The rubber mask uh, the strip killer. It's all over the place. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But but again, like rating, like how metal is it? Okay, like how good is the music? How much gore is there? Like, I mean, this one kind of fell flat a little look, bit. Like it wasn't. I mean, there's ass branding. In this film, okay, <laughs> pentagram ass branding. But that goes that goes to another point where like a third factor is like I hate to say it, but tits and ass like all of these movies have it. Yeah, all of them have it. This one has like not the most, but not the least. That girl was so cool, though. Come on, the one with the pentagram ass tattoo. She was the coolest. She was character cool in as shit. Movie. Yeah, I loved no. her. Yeah, loved her. There is even a graveyard sex scene. There is. Yeah. No, it Which has is, some things in yeah. its favor. I just feel like it's the least <laughs> like truly metal of the bunch. Wow. I don't know. I agree. Oh, but I don't think oh. that's, I don't think that's means it's the worst movie, but I don't really have a favorite out of this whole batch. I enjoyed all of these because of yeah. my trash brain. <laughs> um, so I feel like even though there's not a lot of metal music in this movie, it's metal in spirit. So I think mm. it comes across to me as just being really heavy just because of like the vibe it gives off and all the things going on in it where like, you know, I don't know. I guess I didn't really pay attention to the lack of metal music. The grandfather flashing the devil horns does carry a lot of water. for well, that. But okay. Yes, but also the grandfather, <laughs> he was wearing his regular clothes under his satanic robe. <laughs> which i had His a problem own. with he was wearing like a plaid the pumpkin salesman shirt. clothes yeah what <laughs> i had a problem with that like if you're gonna go into full satanic garb like do away with the plaid work shirt you know what i mean this is my best defense of hack-a-lantern <laughs> this is a great party movie to watch on halloween night because it is set on halloween which is very specific mm-hmm. and it is 
such a mess that offers different kinds of snacks for your brain that like you don't really have to pay that much attention to any five minutes of it. Mm-hmm. The slasher plot that sort of emerges where like that rubber demon mask killer, <laughs> you have to like, you're not sure who that is. There's like some identity questions there. You kind of see where it's going before it reveals who the killer really is. That stuff you barely have to pay attention to, to like glob on to like what the movie's doing. Really. It's just something to play in the background on Halloween night and have fun at how goofy it is. It's like a perfect party movie for a Halloween setting. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it on that level. But it's not metal. It's not It's not as metal as the other films, no. Uh, I disagree. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm but very anyway, passionate about my metal, you know. Anyway. <laughs> it wouldn't be a metal conversation with a, without people getting pedantic about what's more oh, metal or what's less. what's the most yeah. metal, right, I know. That's yeah. <laughs> totally where we're at right now. Yes, it's, we're just so authentic. Basically, the way I've been thinking about all these movies, it's like it's in relation to one another, like, and it is sort of that like elitist metal, like which one of these movies is the most truly <laughs> metal? You know what I mean? So I'm kind of holding everything up to that standard. And I don't think this movie's trying to satisfy that in any way. Like there is that heavy metal dream sequence, but for the most part, I feel like it's just having fun and like. Almost looks like friends piecing together a movie across like multiple weekends. Yeah. There's another one I feel like in this list, I think is the same vibe where it's just like, what gag do we want to do this weekend to like fit in the story? And the way this one comes together once all those like different weekends where, well, they like had beers <laughs> and did goofy shit and invited their like friend to do like mediocre stand up on the sidewalk, that belly dancer, Trisha, they know. By the time they edited it all together, it was just such like a smorgasbord, like mm-hmm. of disconnected objects that like it's not trying to achieve the status of being the most metal movie of all time, you know? Right. Where, whereas I do, feel I don't think like, it has a goal. I feel like some of these other ones we're going to talk about, like set out from the beginning to be as metal as possible, and yeah. this one feels a little more like innocent, like just trying to have fun. Innocent. Um, I just think it's like it's an artsy form of metal exploitation film. You know what I mean? Like it's not trying to be in your face like, oh, yeah, this is metal. It's, you know, kind of giving it to you in these beautiful, subtle hints. <laughs> that is a that is a wild claim. <laughs> but even your main your like the main dude, he's not that metal. Like what he just Tommy? works out. Tommy is metal as fuck. Tommy is so metal. How? He looks he just, like um he looks just like Jeff Tate from Queensryche and Well, he looks the part but he doesn't play an instrument. He plays guitar in his dreams. In his dreams. In his dreams. <laughs> he doesn't actually like rock out in his room. He's a loner dirtbag that his family has turned against. He's a poser. And he broods in his basement with his little satanic altar and is going to become the like human body of Satan he is on a Earth. Quintessential he's very poser. metal. No, he's a poser, dude. He's, he gave his life to Satan. Like he, <laughs> What else can he do to That's meet true. a standard That's of being true. metal? <laughs> all right. I got to say, the least attractive part of like being a metal fan, and I think all three of us are fans of the genre, like genuinely, is the gatekeeping. Like I don't care if this is like not metal <laughs> enough. <laughs> Well, I'm I know, taking I'm like, that I'm, on I'm, as like we're my We're getting role. passionate. 
That's my role in this podcast. I'm going to be the gatekeeper. You're being such a Tommy right now. That guy is not metal enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. And we're back with evangelist and moral crusader, the Reverend Aaron Gilstrom, who's dropped by with some visual aids. We're talking today about rock pornography, and I'll have to agree with you. We have some pretty ribald stuff here. Those, those rockers really have a strange sense of humor, don't they? I don't even think it's a sense of humor. I think they're just out-and-out sick people. I mean, and they're trying to make everyone else around them who, who listens to their music as sick as they are. Well, if Hack-A-Lantern is not specifically metal enough i think trick-or-treat from 1986 is the most pure metal exploitation film that we'll talk about today yes like without question agreed uh Brittany, when you first suggested that we do this episode the two movies that you first came up with were hack-o-lantern and trick-or-treat so uh i kind of want to know why that grouping came to your mind and like also like what happens in this film and what what do you like about it trick-or-treat is just a really good dessert when you're watching hack-o-lantern as your main course it's good so trick-or-treat this was one of the very first dvds that i bought i got it from like one of those remember how before i guess dvds were like a big thing in stores you would get these giant catalogs like american classic movies or whatever i was like Tommy, when I was a 13-year-old girl, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I was just obsessed with, like, 80s metal. I walked around school with, like, a big Dio patch on my bag, and I would put hair in the front of my face, and I had a Motley Crue jacket, and I would just tell everybody to fuck off. And I remember looking through the catalog, because I was also obsessed with, like, bizarre 80s horror movies, and I saw this cover of Trick or Treat, and Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons was on it. And I was like, what? A movie with Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons? So I um, got it, only to find out that Gene Simmons has, like, two lines, and Ozzy Osbourne um, is just in a commercial within the movie for two seconds. (laughs) So they're... (laughs) They're, they're not deserving of the cover, but I was tricked into getting this movie, and it's actually a good movie. So the film, it's, it, it is a very metal storyline, right? You have this loner kid in high school who's, like, really into metal, and everyone hates him, and he has a black mullet. He is obsessed with this um, metal musician named Sammy Kerr, and he's also, like, a a local like he's a a hometown i guess success story (laughs) yeah they went to the same high school right from eddie's hometown so he's like you know idolizes this guy and sammy kerr ends up dying in this hotel fire which definitely like just you know tears eddie up inside and he's you know, just so depressed. So he goes to visit his local radio DJ friend who's played by Gene Simmons. And Gene Simmons' character gives Eddie, the bullied kid, a copy of Sammy's, uh, Sammy Kerr's last demo. And Eddie finds out that as he plays that demo backwards, he's able to, like, communicate with Sammy Kerr from beyond the grave. 
which is so funny because that was like a huge thing, right? Like back in the eighties, and Satanic Panic was like, if you play this rec- this metal record backwards, you're gonna talk to Satan, and it kind of happens in here. Yeah, I feel like the there's a weird game of telephone there where like the idea was that if you play the records backwards, like maybe they'll say something like Satan rules. But in this case, it's like an actual dialogue, like Satan communicates with you, or this dead rocker does anyway. Right. Well, he starts to really get, like for a second, he kind of loses himself in it, right? He gets a little cocky when he goes to school. He's kind of caught up on getting revenge and all these guys that are bullying him. And he realizes that he's kind of going too far with it. And when he wants to kind of pull back from it, like Sammy is like, fuck no, let's destroy everything, Satan and metal forever, you know? So, eventually, like, Sammy Kerr's, I guess his, like, spirit and body (laughs) comes back, and I love, love, love all those effects in the film. Like, there's this great part where Sammy is coming through the speaker, and it's just this really badass special effect where his, like, face is, like, pushing through it. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, and I was like, God, this shit reminds me so much of, like, Dream Warriors. Like, and it turns out that Kevin Yeager, the guy who did the special effects for Dream Warriors and Freddy's uh, Revenge, was the guy that did the special effects for this movie. Oh, that's movie. cool. Which is kind of why, Sam- I mean, Sammy Kerr gives off some Freddy Krueger vibes when he comes back, right? He has, like, his burned face and that, like, raspy, deep voice. And he's very haunting in, like, a dreamlike way. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And also, uh, Kevin Yeager is the, he has a cameo later on in this film. He's the um, guitarist in that band of the dance. <laughs> <laughs> Where um, Sammy comes and, like, does that big performance. Yeah, it's kind of like the ending of Carrie where he, like, terrorizes everybody in the auditorium with his, like, electricity. But everyone's into it. (laughs) Yeah, no one's freaked out until he starts killing people. Then they freak out. Get you after midnight. I like that he has, like, that electricity power, too. Like, there's this great scene where he's got these gross, long black fingernails, and he, like puts it in his mouth, like, sucks on his fingernail, like, shoves it in an electrical socket and just starts to zap people. I thought that was really, really cool. So the guy that plays Sammy Kerr in this movie was, like, a dancer for Michael Jackson. And he was, like, a big (laughs) dancer. But, um, like, initially, rumor has it that the um, Blackie Lawless, I don't know if y'all ever listened to the band Wasp, like, they initially wanted uh, the lead singer of Wasp, Blackie Lawless, to play uh, Sammy. But he's not as like I think charismatic <laughs> as this guy so I'm kind of glad that they chose this guy who um I don't know if he actually sang any of it I'd have to look into that because I know the band Fastway did the soundtrack for this movie so I'm pretty sure he was just lip syncing along with it but I don't know he had like a really good vibe and played like a really good um you know demonic um beyond the grave metal demon character so yeah, uh, what did y'all think of Trick or Treat? <laughs> I loved it. Honestly, I thought it was the best movie of the bunch that we watched. It's an actual movie. It's an actual the other movie ones. that has like it had a budget, like a real budget, like a I think like a three million dollar budget. <laughs> really? I I mean, not even so much budget. Just like I felt like it was truly getting at the heart of what it felt like to be a metalhead in the eighties. 
you're a loser. Yeah, you're the loser and whatever. And to kind of like, you know, you want to strike back against the people that have teased you or whatever. But there's a dark side to that. Like, there's an interesting story, but also, you know, in the first um, first shot, you get these metal posters of like Anthrax and Ozzy Osbourne, Twisted Sister, Molly Crew, like true metalhead shit for that time. And I feel like the music was on point and the character, the main character, like I cared about, like, you know what I mean? And like the acting was good. It was the most like true, like film of the bunch. And I would say like the most actual like metal movie that we watched. As crazy as it sounds, like it's the least campiest, I think, of all the movies we watch. Yeah, it's a very sincere, like serious drama in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it's also a movie that ends with the demon being killed by a flushing toilet. So it's not like totally humorless, but like you are supposed to take Eddie's like loser status at school and like the drama, kind of like the Carrie White drama of that, like pretty seriously, I think. Yeah, there's that horrible scene in the beginning where he's like butt naked and like locked out of like the locker room and he like pushes his hands against like the door and like looks like he's about to start crying and it's very like it's got very emotional well and like i don't know like also the special effects too like you touched on Brittany. like there's a scene where he's pulling the old woman out of the tv and the monster that kills that woman in the car uh, yes. yeah there was some like really badass special effects with like i think some of the best music in these movies and like a really genuine story this to me was like the winner of the bunch. This is the one I I had seen before. I think the rest were new to me. And it does feel like the metal exploitation film. Like it just feels like the definitive one in a lot of ways. And it's very concerned with like making sure you know it's bona fide. Like casting Ozzy and Gene Simmons is like a power move, you know? And, and putting them on the the damn DVD cover. <laughs> well, that's that's a song you snake oil. Their cameos are good too. Like you know, Gene Simmons is kind of a gross human being, but he does have charisma. A disc jockey at a radio station is a great role for him. And Ozzy is like the televangelist. It's very like clever cameos. And in Sammy Kerr's characterization, where you're watching him on television, you know, and on the announcement that he's died, they kind of do this like obit. And they say like, oh, he bit the head off a snake, which is kind of like an Aussie reference. Or they show him at like a Senate hearing arguing against censorship, which is like a decider. Like Twisted Sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, the movie's like very invested in making sure you know it's legit, which I mean, the only one other film I could think of I've seen like that is Deathgasm, which I think we all liked when we watched uh-huh. it. Yeah. Show. Yes. But even this is more serious than that. It's, it's kind of like a teen drama for a lot of it. But it's also kind of funny thinking that in comparison to Hack a Lantern, we're like, this kid is a loser that everyone hates, and Tommy and Hack a Lantern is kind of the same thing. He's like this like unlikable asshole who just like broods in his basement and everyone hates him. Like metal is for losers. <laughs> <laughs> and then whenever you get a a taste of the power it gives you, it just over it overwhelms you and you have to give it all up so fast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um <laughs> damn metal. But I know we've like talked about how good the soundtrack was for this movie. And I, I love it. Like there's multiple songs throughout and I love that they got an actual band to do the soundtrack. So 
yeah, that band Fastway, which, I mean, it's a legit band. It's made up of, you know, like Eddie Clark from Motorhead, Pete Way from UFO, like these, you know, big musicians. Um, it's kind of like they're like sort of, I guess, side project band. So it's, you know, you're hearing real metal from like real metal musicians. So it has that like authenticity to it. Would you say this was your favorite band of all these movies? Um, my favorite band is in another film. Good, good, yeah, good. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. Like, I, I do agree with Brandon that this was probably the most, this is like the quintessential to me, like heavy metal movie from the 80s, but not my favorite soundtrack. The singer reminds me so much of a combination of like the lead singer of Rat meets like the lead singer of the Scorpions. <laughs> that high pitched, like raspy metalness. But if y'all are interested, this has a huge fan base, like a, a really big cult following. And there's a website called SammyKerr.com. And it, it just made me laugh because it's super old and it's done in the style of um, like those old Angel Fire websites. So there's like, you know, <laughs> those fan sites. So it's like pictures of Sammy Kerr and then interviews and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, like, I mean, if you're really into it, there's a group of people out there and they all hang out on freaking SammyKerr.com because it's a wild place. Oh, boy. There is one moment in this movie I do want to kind of talk shit about, if you don't mind. And it is kind of like a thing that I'm not sure if I'm in the right on this. But all of these movies, as we mentioned earlier, have like a tits and ass fascination like a juvenile boy's sexuality especially about boobs like these movies are obsessed with boobs as a group and in most of them i find the old-fashioned almost like playboy magazine benny hill type sexuality it's sexist and objectifying but i almost find it kind of adorable like it's like quaint that the movie is so interested in boobs like there's like something like 12 year old boyish about that, that I find amusing. Mm-hmm. This movie has a scene where Sammy Kerr's ghost molests this girl and then rapes her as like a demon. And it's played for like titillation. And I found that gross. So I don't know necessarily that I'm in the right there to find like one form of sexism cute and the other one like upsetting, but I was not, into that that was like my one sticking point i I think it sort of goes to the satanic panic thing of like i guess it's the same with like hip-hop like this music is literally going to make people like fornicate and make them horny and i took it as like the the girl was like overtaken by the sexual power of the music I didn't take it as like she was being raped. It was uh okay. Well, There's like a demon that rapes her in the scene. Well, but okay, but I took it as like the music has power. So I guess I would say like the music is raping her, which I don't know what to say about. I think that. it's doing two things. Like it's it's both being alarmist, like oh yeah, this music is sexualizing your children, right? But you know, have, you have Ozzy Osbourne as the um as the uh, preacher, sort of making fun of that sexualization it's like yeah of course it is and it's cool as shit but then you also have this thing where that scene is not played for horror it's not like horrifying that she's being molested it's played for like erotic titillation and that's the part that grossed me out that happens so much in 80s movies and like watching it with the 
current perspective, I guess, that, you know, I have as, like, a (laughs) grown-up instead of being, like, a, you know, a 12 or 13-year-old. It is weird. Like, it happens in a lot of movies, especially, like, slashers. You know, that weird, like, molestation of sleeping people. Yeah, and and I I guess I only brought it up. Like, I don't think any of these movies are, like, morally right. And I don't think they have to be to be enjoyable. But I just only brought it up because I found the, like, titties obsession and the, like, goof-around sexuality of, like, all the other films really funny and fun. And, like, that moment was not fun. Like, that was the one time where, like, the horniness of these movies, like, I was like, oh, gross. Anyway, that's that's a weird thing I have to deal with on my own. Yeah, my I, therapist. I just feel uh, like we're we're <laughs> singing the praises of this film, and then you come in at the very end with this uh, this criticism. It's very harsh. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was 1986, <laughs> dude. It's the year we were born. I don't know. Yep, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I still feel like I had to bring it up though, because it it was like my one sticking point. Like I enjoyed most of the film, and that was the one part where I was like, I, I don't know about this, but. No, I'll I'll, have, I'll really have to like think about that for a little bit. Yeah. But the next movie on the docket does have that like teen boy titties obsession that I was talking about earlier, which was Rock and Roll Nightmare from 1987, which is a movie James brought up. I literally I just looked up like heavy metal horror, and it it was like the first one that popped up. So I just picked it, and then I don't know. I kind of love this movie. I think I love it because it's so Canadian. You know, it's <laughs> I don't I, I think of Canadians as like being very nice, I guess, and like this is like a really nice gentle It's the nicest movie of our bunch. Yeah. I, I mean, it's basically like a ego-driven piece. This guy, what's his name? John Mikhail Thor, who was in a band in Canada called Thor. And in the movie, he's the singer of a band called what the Tritones <laughs> with a Z with a Z. And they go out to like this farming, like countryside, this barn to like record an album. And obviously like things are afoot and there's demonic spirits or whatever. But I think what really took me aback with this movie was like how nice everyone was like, the band members all sort of get along. I don't know. They're not drinking or partying. They're just trying to record their album. They just want a good night's sleep. No, they just want a good night's sleep. Um, <laughs> and, and it was just like very sweet. Like probably the sweetest movie of the bunch we watched. Um, but I don't know. Rock and Roll Nightmare. Let's discuss. I think this is the one where we have to spoil the ending to talk about it. Oh, the ending. Because most of the film is it's a just this band piece. recording their album in like a haunted house. And then the ending is a hard swerve. <laughs> to something otherworldly. <laughs> Do you want to try to tackle it? I, I mean, James, can I, I don't know if I can like truly in a plot way, like describe what happens. I can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Please. this, like you said, hubristic metal dude who wrote this movie and filmed it around himself to like stroke his own ego. All his friends are picked off one at a time by these like little cute demon puppets. Like like most of the demons in this film look like little Jim Henson puppets and they're very adorable. There's like a whole like set of them and they all look like meep from the puppets. (laughs) (laughs) Except like sticky with sharp teeth. So, okay. All his friends are picked off one by one. And then he sits down with a, 
a pen and paper on like music notes to sit down and write his metal riffs, which I don't think I've ever seen in any media before. That was hilarious. <laughs> so he's sitting down and writing down his little notes for like what riffs he's going to play later. And he's disrupted all of a sudden by Satan. And Satan is basically just a larger version of those Jim Henson puppets. He's like a bigger, longer version of it. Was this not the cutest devil you've oh, ever seen? Adorable. It looks like an alien, like from <laughs> Aliens <laughs> movie. But happy. I mean, I fun. guess so. He's not red with horns. He looks like a cute stick bug. Yeah, yeah. very a praying yeah. mantis. Yes, exactly. So Satan interrupts his like private riff writing time and says, I'm here and I'm here to kill you. I've already killed all your friends. And this guy says, hey, those weren't my friends. Those were illusions that I created. They are stock characters <laughs> from other horror films. Right. Like like Friday the 13th, I picked off like the uh, the nerd characters that kill, get killed in those movies, and I pretended they were my bandmates to draw you out of the shadows so that we can have a fight. He strips off his clothes, and all of a sudden yeah. he is like a metal god from like a heavy metal album cover. He's just wearing a leather bikini with studs on it. And he says, I am an angel. I'm here to battle you. Satan throws what looks like squids or something at him while he sings a song <laughs> and they have their like final battle. It's little, it. star- little blue starfish that yeah. are sucking his, um, his muscular chest. And he has to do all the work. Cause it's not an animated puppet. He's throwing at him. It's li- literally just like a little starfish doll that they've made. He has to catch it and make it look like it's sucking his blood and like rip it off himself. So he's like, really carrying a lot of work in physical acting there. Um, and he eventually defeats Satan and then visits his, the graveyard where his fake friends were buried, I guess. I don't know. The movie ends very oddly. Uh, (laughs) but this is why I want to bring that up. I feel like this movie is the closest in this group to hack a lantern in that they're both bad movies that have like no central idea big enough to carry the runtime. Like Hack a Lantern has to scramble to fill its runtime with all these different variety show acts. This movie doesn't even try to fill its runtime at all. That ending where it's like one big idea of this like meta horror swerve where like all of a sudden everything you've seen before is fake and it was just to get Satan to come fight this angel. None of that groundwork is laid before that time. You have no idea it's coming. Because everything that comes before it is just padding. There's a scene at the beginning where a van is driving. It's all the band members driving to the studio. It lasts for like eight minutes. Yeah, and it's like this great electronic score. And you're just like watching the van go over hills, go through towns. And you're like, oh my God, when is this going to... And that was one of three music cues that van trip goes through. There's a metal song. Then there's this weird off kilter, like keyboard score. And then there's this like rip off Omen music. That's like, hus, 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 hus. like <laughs> it just keeps van, going. Van. going. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so God. this is my pitch for this film. If you cut out the van driving people walking from one location to another, People doing the dishes, which is multiple scenes and is commented upon, like, let's go do the dishes again. And the vanilla sex. If you cut oh, all those things out, wait a this would be 15 minutes long. Okay. You mean the sex between a married couple? <laughs> also, like, 
my one of my favorite scenes in the movie, the shower scene, where I think that shower scene goes on for almost twenty minutes. It feels like this movie is all padding. She's literally lathering his body, and like apparently the lead singer of the band, who also helped make the movie, like he is also a professional bodybuilder. He was like Mr. Canada. Mr. Canada, right? Yeah. And we get like a 20 minute showcase of just his body being lathered up in a shower. That, I mean, that was a highlight for sure. I also should add that the metal songs themselves are also padding because we get a full like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, metal songs like start to end that like also stretches out the runtime. And this movie's only 80 minutes long. I thought the music was good though. For 80s hair metal, like... I assume this was y'all's favorite band of the bunch, right? This was was my favorite music, I think. Yeah. When I found out, oh, the band Thor did the music, I was like, oh, I need to check out Thor. They're interesting, right? I went into a black hole of Thor and, like, John Michael Thor for, like, a whole day. I normally wouldn't have faulted the full-length songs, just only, like, in combination with all the other stuff. Where it, it felt kind of like them doing the dishes where like that is just treading water so that they can like call this a full length movie. But see, to me that added to what I loved about it, where it felt so wholesome, like Mm -hmm. them, like doing the dishes together as like a band family. Wasn't that, that was so endearing. (laughs) The dish set that they have. My grandma used to have that same set. It's these corral dishes with those like mustard yellow flowers all over the rim. Mm. So that was like, you know, a very personal touch (laughs) for me. The one time I like laughed at the dishes thing was when they were about to go practice for the first time. And the the dudes say, let's go tune our weapons. And then the girls say, (laughs) let's go do the dishes. So they, they split the house by gender. Like girls do the dishes and men tune their weapons. I thought that was funny. Well, what about the drummer's accent too? Like we oh, had, his British accent. Was it British? It was like Australian. Oh uh, yeah, it was wavering between Australian, British, and then I it just went what away. Was going completely. on? Yeah, yeah. And to find out later that he was never real in the first place only makes that decision even more confusing. He was only in shadow the whole <laughs> time. I I think this is the most Hack a Lantern like movie in this group. Where like this feels like people who are buddies making some goof around movie on the weekends and just having a good time. And that, that vibe really does add to like the party atmosphere of it. This was, this wouldn't be another great, like horror movie to watch with friends over beers. I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're in a a pandemic, so I'm, you know, I'm watching all this stuff alone and I I had so many like out loud moments where I was like gasping, but like just that man, that part at the end, that big shift where he reveals himself to be an archangel and he is talking to Satan. Like they've been knowing each other for like centuries and calls him bub short for like, you know, Bizzlebub. <laughs> I was literally screaming like, what is happening? I love too, that. Like after the characters have been, you know, attacked or whatever, depending on the scene, it's like they either vanish or what become demons or remain <laughs> normal like it they just disappear from the movie like we get we never really get to know you know i don't know like i think this one like had a lot of heart and i think that's what i really appreciate it was like wholesome and had a lot of heart and it was still like metal 
Yes. There's a song in it, and of course it's a full-length song. It's one of the full-length songs in this film. And it's the one that goes like, Energy! Like, every time I drink my coffee in the morning, like, for the past, like, <laughs> two weeks, I've been like, Energy! I need to, like, get the uh, soundtrack. I'm a fan. John Michael Thor, where have you been all my life? Well, I think also because, like, the music was pretty consistent throughout like at least in the background, it almost felt like a musical. I don't know. Like I just constantly had this heavy metal vibe throughout the whole thing where I was sort of just like head banging throughout. And that kind of carried me. I liked the metal riffs that happened when the monsters would kind of show themselves. Like when the, the little gooey sticky uh, ghouls, the little puppets would kind of creep from the corners. You'd hear like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. This might be a good time to mention that I do not like this era of head- of metal music at all. This like hair metal era, the like L.A. trash, like, I don't know. Rat, wasp. It's corny as shit in a way that I could never fully tap into, except for specific like top forty songs. Like I really like like Come On, Feel the Noise, and like really over the top stuff like that. Dude, as like someone that I guess was like a heavy metal elitist at one point, yeah, I hated hair metal but the shit's fun and it has like kind kind of come back into fashion where i'm finding bands now that are like reclaiming that sound because it is like just like in a group of people like at a party you're drunk you're sweaty and you just hear those like hair metal riffs there's something about it that just makes you want to like have a good time and i think that is like coming back into fashion yeah did y'all know that there is a sequel to this film i did not know Mm -mm. yeah it's um intercessor um another (laughs) rock and roll nightmare (laughs) and it was like it's more recent shit i want to say it's like the you maybe either 2006 or 2016 i can't remember 100 percent, but it's um it had like a apparently like thor has a big fan base and people wanted it and he gave the people what they wanted, so. There's no way that's nearly as fun as this. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I wasn't expecting this to be a great time. God knows what that one has in store. <laughs> I'll watch it. If I'm going to be the one outlier who doesn't love hair metal, it is kind of funny that I picked Shock 'em Dead from 1991. Which is like the most hair metal of all these movies by it's far. It's trashy LA hair metal. <laughs> Just really shameless but i think the main band is supposed to be kind of bad and the movie's kind of like having fun at its expense in some ways i think it's like a critique of hair metal in a way that none of these other movies are i agree and it's coming in in 1991 which is like at the end of the road the the late stage yeah totally because that's when like i guess nirvana and like the kind of grunge kind of oh, yeah. put that to bed. Yeah. And pissed on its corpse. Uh, this movie is the corpse. This is like the dead body of hair metal. The main reason I really wanted to watch this is because it stars Tracy Lords and she's been on my mind a lot lately. Cause they just had that um, podcast come out. Um, Once upon a time in the Valley that sort of tracked her career trajectory and like the mystery of who, you know, sold her out to the feds. Was it herself? Was it someone else? I don't know if that show really came to any kind of conclusions, but 
it just reminded me that Tracy Lords is cool as shit. Like she is so fucking cool. And this movie uses her in that way. We're like, she's in it more than like Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne are in um, trick or treat. Like she's not just a single scene cameo the way they are, but they also don't give her anything to do. She just shows up every now and then. And you just look at her and go like, wow, how fucking cool is Tracy Lords? <laughs> like that's her entire vibe. Otherwise, this is a pretty straightforward metal exploitation film. I think this nerd character who works at a pizza joint is a horrifically shitty guitar player, like the worst musician out of any character in any of these films. And he auditions for a band called Spastic Colon. So the movie's already <laughs> making fun of the band a little bit by giving it that name. And the band is led by this heroin addict kind of sissy character who is the world's biggest asshole and is like kind of like everything that's wrong with like pretty boy hair metal pricks. So that character, he, I don't know if he was meant to be like a mockery of Ian Asbury from the cult. I have no idea, but maybe. Because Ian Asbury's known for like his pirate earrings and his like very uh, flamboyant stage dance moves and stuff like that. So I don't know. I kind of got that vibe from him. And the the song that he sings in this movie a lot is like, I'm a virgin girl. I always wait till I'm married. Like he's doing like a kind of like femme stage character. So the movie's kind of making fun of like the glam aspect of hair metal. Maybe in a slightly homophobic way, but this character is so over the top and so villainous in like a hammy way that it's fucking hilarious. Um, and he gets his comeuppance because the uh, goofball pizza boy who auditions and like does not get the job to become a part of Spastic Colon um, decides to sell his soul to the devil via a voodoo priestess. He has this like ceremony where satan appears to him in a graveyard with a smoke machine and two bikini leather s&m babes at his like feet as satan plays a double neck guitar but not in the way you think it's not a functional double neck guitar where it's just two guitars just tuned two different ways it's a double neck guitar that goes in both directions like a v that Satan plays at the same time, one hand on, on each neck. Is um, it meant to look like open legs? I think so, yeah. It's a sexy thing. He's tapping? Is that what it, like... Kind of. Because, like, as a guitar player, that threw me off. I was just like, what are you actually doing? <laughs> like, you're not picking any notes, so are you just tapping on both necks? Like, I don't... But even if you were tapping, you'd have to, like... You have to hold the strings down with the other finger, right? To control what tone you're hitting. That's why you have to sell your soul to the devil, okay? Yes. Because <laughs> that makes it's, it happen. It's dark magic. And the devil gives him this power. Because uh, he emerges from this ritual with this giant black uh, hair metal wig that looks like a Party City like rocker costume. He's got that and mascara on. And that's how you know he's transformed from the pizza boy nerd to the metal god. And he can play the guitar the way the devil did um, and takes over the band from this like heroin addict, sissy lead singer. He sings Virgin Girl and all of a sudden it's cool. Um, even though he 
pukes on the tits of the audience <laughs> while he's performing. Even though he pukes on the tits of the audience. I mean, it's true. He does. It's true. That's what happened. You're right. And they love him for it. But there's a catch, as you might expect. He can't eat food anymore. Food disgusts him and kills him. He has to kill and eat blood now. So every now and then, instead of hooking up with a groupie, he takes them back to his place to drain them of their blood. He sucks their souls like freaking Dr. Sleep. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he learns about this because he's been assigned groupies by the devil who are these like harem of deformed women who've like been burned or disfigured in accidents. But you can't see that except in their reflections in the mirror. But they they teach him the ropes. They teach him like, oh, you have to suck souls and blood to um, keep yourself alive. And he's eventually murdered by being injected with food concentrate. The, the food tube. <laughs> the food tube. <laughs> this movie is so goofy. Like, it is very silly. It's the most sexist and the most racist film. Especially that voodoo woman character is the only black woman in this film. And, like... And there's, like, rude comments made towards her, like, oh, at the yeah. party, too. Yeah. After watching Horror Noir and, like, Zombie Child, it was hard to ignore that stuff. Also, I, I think it has the most pairs of boobs yeah any of the movies who watch i feel like there's six or seven naked women yeah th- that's the what i kind of found adorable when i was talking about like how um you know trick-or-treat has that like molestation scene that grossed me out but i found a lot of sexism in these films cute like the titties obsession in this film is so over the top obviously they cast tracy lords off of the um the fame of her porn career but she doesn't get naked in this film because she's like trying to become a legitimate actress. But they surround her with like so many other topless babes for the movie to like drool over. And the, the whole thing is just very over the top and silly. And I enjoyed it more than I expected to, even though it's probably the worst film in the batch. And the band is by far the worst, like the least rocking of all these bands. I like their hits, though. Like, I think we, you know, <laughs> you know. I'm in love with a slut, um, virgin <laughs> girl, and I don't know if they played it, but they did talk about what's that, Harry Cherry, and the world's worst cover of Purple Haze you'll ever hear. Oh God! Life. Oh, I I was a fan. Okay. I think the thing that like really made me connect with this film is like, okay, I used to deliver pizzas. Like I was a pizza guy. Oh, you're and, Angel Martin. Right, and. There's that that scene where um, they're telling him to like weigh the toppings, you know, you're giving them too much cheese and not enough pepperonis. And like, I identify with that because I had that conversation at Domino's. And then I also identify with like, I think there's that quote where it's like, every retard thinks they're a rock star, you know, like. Wanting to be this rock star and working at a pizza place and kind of like being okay at guitar, but you kind of suck and you wish you could just sell your soul and be the best guitar player on the planet. Like some of that stuff like actually did connect with me on a deeper level, which is pretty ridiculous to say, but like, I don't know. I totally dig the Robert Johnson sort of, I'll sell my soul to be, the best at this instrument because I'm a loser and I want to be good at something like this film definitely tapped into that in a fun way. I I think it's pretty 
telling that every movie in this list, except for Rock and Roll Nightmare, is about a total loser that everyone hates. And like <laughs> heavy metal is this like power fantasy that, you know, drags them out of that and like gives them, you know, scary satanic superpowers that like gives them power over all the uh, assholes that like bullied them around with consequences. But satanic superpowers, talent and a waterbed. Oh, waterbeds. Oh. A waterbed and a cow skin rug. It was just the <laughs> grossest room. <laughs> yeah, he gets his own little um, hair metal like L.A. apartment to live in too with his harem of disfigured babes. And like a, um, like a closet full of leather. It was just, it's so funny when he gets into it. <laughs> yeah, I, but I do think this one, it tapped in to the most of like the wannabe musician. Mm. And the fact that like, I think, I don't remember the guitarist's name, but they use an actual like famous neoclassical guitar player. Yeah, that, it's he's from that band Nitro, that hair metal Nitro. band Nitro. Yeah, and he he filmed the stuff like all the crazy tapping and all that stuff. Like of all the other movies, this one tapped in the most to like being an actual musician that you know wants to make it. That wish they had more talent than they actually do. I'm surprised you liked this. Like you told me that you hated one of these films. And I expected it was going to be this one. I thought I was going to have to like defend. Um, I like Shock this one. I like, I like this it one was a lot. Hack-a-lantern. It was Hackalander. It was Hackalander. I actually, I really liked this one. What did you think, Brittany? Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was, it was so funny and it was in that cheesy way that, I don't know, it came off like a, a trauma film and some certain parts of it. It was entertaining. I liked the music. I liked the, the funny characters and stuff and um tr- freaking troy donahue and aldo ray <laughs> are in here they're <laughs> you know those record executives like these you know big classic hollywood stars are playing in this this trash just la garbage like this is just like honestly i real I probably shouldn't have been surprised that james enjoyed this because that type of ham villain the lead singer of the band of Spastic Colon, I associate that kind of villainy with you. Like, I think you were usually tickled by over the top bully characters in like broad comedies like this. Like I, I, that seemed like your sense of humor, I think. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say you're wrong. (laughs) And I think, I think it is important to, keep this movie in this conversation only because it is like the absolute dead end of the genre like metal exploitation died here if trick-or-treat is the definitive metal exploitation film then this one is like the definitive funeral for the genre well but i feel like you know there's been metal films since but they take the genre very seriously in a way that these don't or I guess like Mandy is an example I can think of where it's a metal film in a way, but it's not like necessarily about heavy metal. It's like the vibe that heavy metal brings out. Sounds like Hack Lantern. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean though? Like it's not like intrinsically about heavy metal per se. It's just like the feeling you get when you listen to heavy metal and I feel like there's more films that are tapping into that. I see what you're saying. I think like Deathgasm is a throwback Deathgasm, to this time. Yeah. 
like Deathgasm is kind of like a throwback metal exploitation film, but like Hesher, Metalhead, Lords of Chaos, Mandy. And I see what you're saying. Like, would be another one. But oh, not that's really another throwback. Serious. Yeah, I always yeah. forget about it, but it's very metal. That's a good movie. It is. Ronnie and James Dio is in it. I mean, that's the biggest cameo. And there's a big uh, metal off with Satan at the end of the Battle of the Bands. I mean, yes, you right. don't get much more metal exploitation than that. <laughs> but I, I think I'm calling Shock 'em Dead the end of the genre because it's the end of hair metal's popularity, which is how these movies got made in the first place. Like all exploitation films, they're only made because financiers thought that they could make a buck off of this like fad, you know? And if that fad dies, then everything that comes after it is going to be a throwback or, you know, kind of tongue in cheek or just a different thing entirely, like kind of the metal dramas you were just talking about. But I do feel like Trick or Treat tapped into the heart of metal in a way that some of the newer films are tapping into as well. Yeah. But like Shock 'em Dead, it's a comedy. I mean, it's like poking fun at the thing. It's not taking it sincerely or like it's not authentic in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it kind of has to be because it was on its last legs. Like the I guess I don't want to say the Satanic Panic era had completely died by then, but it was kind of just like not as serious as it was for sh- uh for Trick or Treat. Like for Trick or Treat the movie really does engage with those themes in like a sincere way. I don't think any of these other movies do like that might be the one example from the era that is like fully invested in metal as like a very cool thing. And, you know, dealing with how people thought it was a dangerous thing. Those corrupting children at the same time. Yeah. I think we're talking about like authenticity. And I think again, to go back to the beginning, like I feel like that's the big, sticking point with metal heads is like, this isn't real metal. Like it's not authentic. I do think trick or treat. And I would even say rock and roll nightmare are like authentically metal. You know what I mean? Like it's not trying to subvert it or poke fun at it. It's just like truly like headbanging badass metal. Hack. I don't know about hack lantern though. Like I could be wrong. Many things. Yeah, it's many things. I don't like. I don't know where I come down on that one. Like, it's, maybe it's it is authentically metal. metal. It's, it's art. art? Yeah, like I, I think there's a lot of things in there that we have to give deeper thought to. I think you're responding to the psycho bitty sub story in that film, and it's like clouding your judgment. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know what. There's nothing particularly artsy on purpose in Hackalander to me. It's like a fun variety show. <laughs> I don't think anything about it is particularly artful. Is it truly metal? Like it's metal and like it's a satanic cult. That's yeah, it's, metal. It's, it's, it's exploiting the satanic panic era and it has a heavy metal music video in it. And the main villain flashes the devil horns as like his symbol. So I, I think it, I think it, it qualifies, but it's also got new wave and strip routines and stand up comedy and everything else. Like it's, it's a fun Sampling. There's a little bit for everyone in there. So yes. everyone everyone leaves it happy. <laughs> but see, that goes against true metal is like... It's meant ex- to piss people off. Exclusion, yeah. Like, get out. Like, you're not part of our scene. You're not part of this group. Like, But it's pissing. It pisses you off a little bit because it's not giving in to that. 
it's pissing you off because it's not pissing other people off. So is it really pissing you off? True. Ah. <laughs> Which is metal in the end. <laughs> Just, ah. I'm telling you, it's it's yeah. so it's a very deep film. It's a very deep <laughs> film. I like Britney's galaxy brain defenses of Heckle and it's like yeah, that, basically I, like a David Lynch film. And defend against it. Right. <laughs> well, that's enough horror and metal for this year, I think. I think we've I done mean, it, really? y'all. We well, there's just... enough other metal exploitation titles where we could do a whole other round we some just, other year. We just tapped the tip of it, all right? <laughs> <Forget>. <laughs> uh, next week, we will not be talking about a straight-up Halloween-themed horror film. We're going to be talking about politics. Politics. The true the- horror. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing this after the election? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. That's why I was kind of curious about, like, these movies have, like, a shelf life of, like, until the election. Yeah. It's an experiment, and it will lift our spirits regardless, I think. Oh, right? man. I'm so scared, y'all. So uh, soak up those good Halloween vibes while they last, and then there's going to be an election, and then we're going to talk about the fallout and some other, like real life horrors that are not as fun as like the fictitious satanic ones unfortunately yeah, it's gonna make you wish that hacker lantern was the worst of your problem <laughs> <laughs> happy halloween everybody happy halloween happy halloween Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. goodbye <laughs>